This podcast is brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers app from the App Store or Google Play Store. Must be 21. Available in Ohio only. Void where prohibited. Terms and conditions apply. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Sports gaming is provided in partnership with Dayton Real Estate Ventures, LLC, DBA, Hollywood Gaming at Dayton Raceway. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in-depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. You're listening to The Bullpen with Adam the Bull on the Bet Rivers Network. Oh, we're doing a rare Thursday show here in the bullpen with Adam the Bull. Why? Because we had a chance today to talk with the great Rick Barry, the Hall of Famer, the legend uh, from the Warriors, of course. Great player, great free throw shooter. Drives him crazy when guys don't shoot the underhanded free throws when they stink at free throw shooting. We'll talk with him. We're talking some baseball and an interesting update from the Baltimore Ravens, plus the NHL uh, conference finals are as, as uh, bad as the NBA conference finals. No competition here. That's all coming up. It's the bullpen with Adam the Bull brought to you by Bet Rivers. You're in the bullpen with Adam the Bull. Folks, let's jump right into it. A lot to get to today. I'm going to get to the NBA in a moment. I'm going to get to, to all of it. I did want to start with the NFL because I saw some interesting comments from Lamar Jackson, who, of course, after a lot of uh, ugliness in the offseason between the Ravens and Lamar Jackson, everybody's in love again. Uh, the Ravens gave Lamar the contract he wanted. Both sides seem to be extremely happy, at least right now, and we'll see what happens. Now, the Baltimore Ravens have a new offensive coordinator, Todd Munkin. Uh, Todd Munkin's been around the league for a very long time. And an interesting comment from Lamar Jackson. Now, we all know Lamar Jackson had a great season when he won the MVP a few years ago. But a lot of that was because of his running. He is a great running quarterback, maybe the greatest running quarterback we've ever seen. Now, he can throw the ball, and at times he's been good. Last couple of years, the throwing hasn't been as good from Lamar. He certainly hasn't been accurate. He's been more turnover prone. But the year he won the MVP, did throw a lot of touchdowns in addition to rushing for a lot of touchdowns. And was much more efficient. That was really the only year he's been efficient with his throwing. Well, Todd Munkin, as I said, new offensive coordinator. And when asked about the offense, because this week's get, get the mini camps, the OTAs, all that stuff. Lamar Jackson was in camp. And when asked what he thinks the offense will allow him to showcase in Todd Munkin's system, he said, quote, less running and more throwing. Um, Lamar Jackson has 4,437 career rushing yards, most by any quarterback in the history of the league in their first five seasons. In fact, it's not even close. The guy who's in second is Cam Newton. And he has 1,230 more yards than Cam Newton rushing. Uh, this stat as well is an interesting one I saw on ESPN. The Ravens are 16-1 and when Lamar Jackson runs for 90 yards. Uh, however, he's taken a ton of hits. He's missed a lot of time due to injury. Baltimore has tried to address the wide receiver group, adding Odell Beckham Jr., Nelson Aguilar, and drafting Zay Flowers in the first round to go what with Rashad Bateman, who was a high pick a couple of years ago, who missed uh, all of last season with an injury. So will the Ravens become a more throwing team? I'm not buying it. 
Lamar Jackson's inclination is to run. That's what he does best. That's the best part of his game. Does it lead to injury? Yes, it contributes. Was that contributes? Was that part of the reason <clears throat> the Ravens were hesitant to give him a big time contract? Probably. Might he run a little less? Maybe. Would it help his career to run less? Yes. Is he a capable throwing quarterback? Yes. Is he a great throwing quarterback? No. Lamar Jackson still needs to use his legs, and I think overall he does a good job of using his legs and not taking some of the big hits that other smaller quarterbacks have taken in the past. I don't think he gets himself crushed as much as the average guy running the ball. But if you run the ball as much as he does, you're still going to take your share of hits. It's really that simple. So, yeah, it would make sense for the Ravens to run less with Lamar Jackson, but I do still think your instincts are your instincts. And when it comes down to it, when he's pressured out of the pocket, when he's feeling the heat, most quarterbacks look to scramble to throw. He looks to scramble and run. Now, can he change that? Well, I think that's pretty hard. Now, will there be less designed runs in their offense? Yes. Lamar Jackson had obviously more designed runs in their old system than any other quarterback in the league. I mean, obviously, Josh Allen has some design runs. Uh, Jalen Hurts certainly last year, but nobody more than Lamar Jackson. So I think that part of his running game will be cut down somewhat. But the rest of it, the instinct part, the play is breaking down part. I don't care how many receivers they've added. Lamar Jackson, in the end, is going to look to run the ball in those situations because that's who he is. All right, we're going to take a break. Uh, when I come back, I'm going to talk with the great Rick Barry. The Hall of Famer joins us to talk about the Nuggets in the NBA Finals. And can the Heat wrap it up tonight against Boston? Or will the Celtics keep it alive and put the pressure on the Heat? Remember, no team has ever come back down 3-0 in the NBA. We've seen it four times in the NHL. We've seen it once in Major League Baseball. Red Sox against the Yankees. Yankee haters love that one, including myself. But it's never happened in the NBA. Can it? We'll see. We'll talk about it. Rick Barry joins me next. It's the bullpen with Adam the Bull, part of Bet Rivers. You're in the bullpen with Adam the Bull. All right, welcome back. The uh, NBA Finals are almost set. We're not, not quite there yet. Uh, game four will be, or excuse me, game five between the Celtics and Heat coming up. Joining us now to talk about it, Hall of Famer Rick Barry. Rick, how are you? Thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, my pleasure. Hopefully we'll keep a good signal because I'm actually on my way to the airport after playing in the Charles Schultz char charity golf event, which raises a lot of money for some wonderful charities here in the uh, <clears throat> Napa area for, for all the kids up here. So uh, it was a lot of fun, um, yeah. and uh, I'm ready to go when you are. Well, I appreciate it. So, Rick, I, you know, first of all, you learn something new every day. This really is a true statement. And when I was preparing for this interview with you, I noticed I, I, I was reading one thing and it said Rick Barry was the second pick in the 1965 draft. And then another thing, another thing said you're the fourth pick. Another thing said you were the fifth pick. And I'm like, what the hell is going on? I didn't re I don't know how I didn't know this, but I didn't realize that from 1949 through your draft of 1965, that there were 23 players drafted as what were called territorial picks at the time. I had no clue that this existed. Was it a big deal? I mean, a lot of those players became Hall of Famers. Was, well, was that? I, I know it was mine the, wasn't a territorial pick, actually. It was, no, yours wasn't, but yeah. yeah but but there were other guys that year. Yeah, well, but 
what happened was the only year in 65 ever in the history of the NBA that two worst teams in the league, in the West, one in the Western Conference, one in the Eastern Conference, flipped a coin. That was the Knicks and the Warriors. The, yeah. winning, the winning coin flipper got two picks. They picked first and fourth. The other team yeah. picked second and third. And that's the only time they've ever done that. And the Knicks mm-hmm. won. And too much, you know, I'm sure they were happy, but they probably would have been happier if they picked me, but they didn't. And I never forgave them for that because I was a New Jersey kid. And so they picked Bill, they picked Bill Bradley. And then I'm not really sure on the second or third pick if my name was mentioned first or Fred Hetzel, but it was irrelevant because they had two picks uh, for right. second and third. And Fred Hetzel from Davidson was uh, was the other pick along with me. And then Dave Stallworth from Wichita State was the fourth pick uh, by the Knicks. So that's that's how that happened. You did end up uh, briefly, obviously, playing in New York, uh, but not not with the Knicks, of course. You played with the Nets for a little bit of time. Was that, I mean, as a kid in New York, you, obviously everybody loved the Knicks, but what, you know, even though you spent most of your career, obviously, with the Warriors, what was that experience like getting back to New York in the early 70s? Well, it was also the ABA. It wasn't the NBA. So that was the big difference yeah. as well. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's kind of like the Mecca. You play, here's what I always say if you played in New York, and you were a yeah. good player, they made you into a great player. If you're a great player, they made you into a superstar player. And if you were a superstar player, they made you into an immortal. <laughs> so yeah. it always you know, raised you one, one, one level as far as how great you were in the eyes of the people there because they have such rabid fans, and it's the media capital, I think, for all of the United States when it comes to sports. So anyway, that's what it was, and it was nice to be back there. I got to play one season with Lou Carnesecca, who was one of my favorite coaches ever, who I still sure. stay in touch with this day. We had a wonderful time, came within came within a victory of uh, one play. I mean, we should have won in Indiana in the finals and lost the game because they didn't listen to what Louie said and we didn't guard the three-point <laughs> shooters and we should have won that game to come home to possibly win back when we played at Nassau Coliseum. So that one will haunt me to the day I die. Um, and I remember those things probably way more than I do all of the good things that happened. So, but it was a great experience being back there, and I got a chance to continue with my broadcasting career because in the off season I did sports for Channel Seven. I did the weekend sports report, and then I would fill in for Frank Gifford, who was doing the six o'clock on ABC, and Jim Bouton, who was doing the eleven o'clock sure. news. So, so that was uh, that was a great experience as well. Rick, you led the N- the ABA or the NBA in free throw percentage for seven years, including five of your last six years in the NBA, you got better as you got older. Um, you know, nowadays there are, there, there are plenty of guys that are good free throw shooters, but there are a lot of guys who are terrible free throw shooters. And I feel like that has to get you aggra- aggravated every time you see a guy who's just a terrible free throw shooter, does it? Well, it doesn't aggravate me. I just try to question it. What, why would they not try my method of underhanded free throws, which there's no That's doubt right. in my mind, if they took the time and were serious about it, they would get to be better. Uh, I had George Johnson, my teammate, who was a 50% shooter, actually wound up shooting 80% when he, le- he left him, I think, to the Nets and shot 80% one season. I mean, can you imagine if Shaq was an 80% free throw shooter? It would have oh been the games, the games would have been over. You throw the ball to him in the post at the end of a game and the game's over. Uh, it's really very, it's, it's disconcerting to me because I just don't understand how you let egos get in the way. Who cares what you look like? It's the end result that matters, isn't it? As long as you're not yeah. breaking the rules. Yeah, no doubt about it. It is, it is stunning to me that guys are so afraid of what they look like that they're not willing to be better when it's obvious that it would make them better. Uh, Rick, let's get, to, let's get to the conference finals here. Well, d- the, in the West, it's over. The Denver Nuggets 
who have been taken for granted the last few years because they hadn't made any big runs. They did get to the, the Western Conference Finals in the bubble season, but they've demolished everybody, including sweeping a Lakers team that had been playing well. Obviously, they didn't play great for much of the regular season, but had played well late in the season and early in the playoffs. What do you think about Jokic and this Nuggets team as they head to the NBA Finals? Well, I think they're the best team in the league. I mean, I, I picked them to win. Uh, you know, I don't usually do that until this time of the year because it's just speculation. But, you know, we're in the playoffs. And so what, the way that they were playing, uh, the team and the talent that they have, I thought that they were the best team. When I always look at the thing, I say, here's the deal. The teams, are whoever's playing, if each team played the best that they could play, who's going to win? And if that's the case, it's the Nuggets. Any of the teams there, they're, they're just, you know, they have nobody nobody can do what Jokic does. The Joker, it's a, I think it was, a, it was fitting that he played the way that he played in this series to show everybody how foolish it was that he wasn't chosen as MVP again. And I know the media people are reluctant to want to give three-time MVPs to anybody. They did that, and they, I think, kind of screwed Steve Nash out of that one time. Uh, I mean, and it's just sad because he he's such a special player. And But I'll get this out because I do it every time I can. The NBA never listens to me, and I've been saying this for decades. It is absolutely ludicrous that they have one MVP for a sport that has an unbalanced schedule. Nobody else does this. You should have an MVP for the Western Conference, an MVP for the Eastern Conference. It would have been simple. You could have had Embiid for the East, and Jokic for the West would have made sense. But if you're only going to go by one, it still, to me, was foolish. As great as Embiid was, and as well as he plays, and the great a player as he is, Jokic is the guy. I mean, the guy is just so much fun to watch. I equate him. He is to the center position in today's game as to what Steph Curry is to the point guard position. Nobody has played the position the way that they play it. No doubt about it. I, I To me, it was a no-brainer that he should have won, but uh, you're right. A lot of times the media feels pressure not to vote for a guy. You mentioned Nash. I think it happened with LeBron as well. But anyway, uh, you, you mentioned Steph Curry there, and, you know, for and I mentioned LeBron. Obviously, these guys have been two of the best players in the NBA for a long time. Uh, and now they're both trending towards the end. LeBron has, you know, had the great first half in Game Four, but he was out of gas. I mean, and the guy's been amazing. He's been he's scoring almost thirty points a game at thirty eight years old. Uh, he has hinted at retiring. Are you buying that, or do you think LeBron's going to keep uh, keep going here, and should he keep going? Well, I heard the latest. I heard my wife had told me that supposedly they're saying that he may take a year off and then figures that his son is going to be ready to leave and come out, and then he'll get drafted. Right. And, uh, and who knows? I mean, I think his goal, and I, I, I can see how cool that would be, to have a chance to play in the NBA with your son. I mean, how cool would that be? Yeah. So, and, and obviously he has the power to do it, and if somebody wants to get him to play that one year, I think they'd probably be willing to sign his son. You know? No doubt. You know, obviously, you know, you you would know about that. Obviously, you, you know, weren't able to play with your sons, but it, it, it would have been amazing if you had that opportunity, right? Oh, I would have loved to have done that. Yeah. The closest I came was just messing around with them and, you know, when they were older, <laughs> go and play and bring at camp or something and play with them. But, uh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a special thing just to watch your children play and perform at a high level, sure. but to have a chance to actually play with them, uh, that would be an incredible uh, thrill, I think, and, and I'm sure it would be great for LeBron and for his sake and his son's sake. You know, I hope it happens. The only thing I would like to have seen, I would like to have seen the fact that Bronny, his father has so much money. One of the coolest things I think it would have been neat to say, okay, USA, here's the deal. Take the money that you were going to pay me 
and let's go out and use that money to get other players to come and play with us so that knowing that Bronny plays, that he'd have a chance to win an NCAA championship maybe in that one year that he's going to play. <laughs> That's a good point. Hey, Rick, uh, let's talk about Steph Curry for a second before we wrap it up with the Eastern Conference Finals. Uh, it seems that because Steph's game doesn't fit the older style of play, right? It's not a physical game. It's all about shooting threes. It seems like he doesn't get a lot of respect from the older players, especially especially I feel like the guys from the 80s and 90s. Is that fair that that's the case? And is it fair that, that he doesn't get that respect? No, it's not fair. The guy's great. The, guy, yeah. the guy's unbelievable. And say it's not physical. I tell people, watch what happens in the playoffs and what they allow the defenses to do. It's one of my biggest pet peeves about the NBA is all of a sudden it's like we're playing by a different rule book and they just let guys mug you out there, especially off the ball, and they rarely ever call a foul off the ball. And just even watch, you know, what's what's happening to Jamal when he's playing with, with Denver when they were playing the Lakers and, and you know, what the Schroeder and those guys were doing to him. They're holding, grabbing, yeah. and putting hands all over him. No fouls. I mean, even when they're on the ball, they're letting him get away with murder. But off the ball, what they do, I mean, you can't do what they're doing. Hell, if you did that out in the street in public, you'd get arrested. <laughs> Rick, to, to the Eastern Conference Finals, the Celtics avoided a sweep. Uh, I mean, I don't know if anybody saw this coming. We know Miami Spolster is a great coach. It's a great organization with Riley. Uh, are you? How surprised are you that Boston is in this situation down 3-1? No team's ever come back down 3-0. Do you give them a puncher's chance to do it? Well, this is why you play the games. Anything can happen. I mean, yeah. something doesn't stay at zero forever. Uh, especially in a situation like this where it's not a statistical thing. I mean, statistic-wise, it's against them, but somebody eventually is going to be the first one to do it. Boston was a surprise to me. The way they came back and played so well against Philadelphia and blew them out in that game seven, I thought going into the game against Miami that they would take care of business. But you have to give Miami credit. They're playing at such a high level with such extreme confidence. But I will say that winning the way they did. I mean, you expected them to come out and put everything they had on the line. And I know that Eric was probably telling his team, you know, guys, they're going to give us that. We have to really be ready mentally. Yeah, 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 yeah. But after beating them and beating them soundly in game three, it's hard for a team. It's what I call the con job syndrome. They're all saying, right, coach, right. But in their hearts, they don't believe it. They just think maybe that Boston wasn't going to play that well. They're at home. They've taken care of business. And they might have been a little overconfident. But to lose the way they lost convincingly at home, that's not a good thing. That just is going to make it more difficult for them. Not that they won't pull it off anyway, but you've given a lot. You've given life to the sleeping tiger, okay? And who knows what might happen. And if Boston finds a way to win the next game, then it gets very interesting. So now you only have one game left at home. And so now your home game, the paramount, the importance of that game becomes paramount. It's the yeah. probably the most important game you've ever played, and if you don't take care of business there, now you got to go up and try to win bucket back in Boston, which means you have to find a way to beat them three times on their home court. Yeah. So they this yeah. is an important game for Miami to go out and try to close this thing out. You don't want to get into that situation. It just gets more and more important for you, and how your team is going to respond to that. And I don't like the word because I think pressure is the most overused word in sports lexicon because if you have confidence in your abilities, there is no pressure. I never felt pressure in one game ever played in a basketball game because I had supreme confidence and I'm going to be able to do what I wanted. In fact, I would, if I could have every game come down to the last 10 seconds, I would want the ball in my hand and the game on the line. It's not pressure. 
there's great expectations and, and it's, it, the importance of it is, is paramount and, and monumental. But it's still going out and doing what you know that you can do. And so you can eliminate pressure from the equation. However, for some of the guys who don't have that supreme confidence, they put themselves in these situations that become more paramount, more demanding. Who knows what's going to happen with those players? Rick, let's wrap it up with this. You said earlier that the Nuggets are the best team in the NBA. No matter what happens in the East, do you expect the Nuggets to win it all? Well, I do, but I'm, I, I'm telling you what, I'm sure that Coach Malone and the organist, they're not happy about this nine days before you play yeah. again? I don't think yeah. that's ever happened in the history of the league. That's a long, long time to not be playing competitive ba- basketball. And, you know, like one of the coaches is doing analysis and stuff said, you know, you're you're scared to death when you're practicing doing stuff. You know, you don't want somebody to get hurt, you know, get ready to go to the finals. It's a difficult situation to be in. I, I'm sure that they were really rooting for Miami to win that game so that Miami would have eight days that they wouldn't be playing either. So right. it would be kind of a level playing field. So right now, that first game that Denver's going to play against whoever it may be, it's, you know, I'm sure they're going to be rooting for Miami again because it's still that at least Miami has a number of days off, which, again, will almost the same playing field. But that's a long time because I tell you, you can take a couple of days off and stuff, but anywhere you get past two days and you're not playing competitive and especially playing as well as they were playing, man, you could sure. lose a little edge there. So I, I'm not ha- if I'm a Denver fan and the Denver team, I'm not happy about the fact that the NBA scheduled these playoffs to put them into June and have that long a period of time. But again, you know, their hands are tied because they had to leave it open for the potential of seven games. But if right. the game was over, I would hope that they would try to move it up some, but I don't think they're going to. No. Rick, incredible insight. I really appreciate you taking the time. Thank you for joining me. Uh, yeah, my pleasure. You're in the bullpen with Adam the Bull. All right, welcome back. Adam the Bull with you in the bullpen, part of Bet Rivers. And great stuff there with Rick Barry. We really got excellent insight. Uh, and you could tell, as I mentioned in the beginning of the, the podcast, that he gets so bothered by guys that refuse to shoot the underhanded free throws. It's silly that you wouldn't do it because of how it looks. Not that everybody needs to do it, but if you're a bad free throw shooter, he referenced Shaq, it makes sense to go that way. Now, the conference finals in the NBA have been terrible so far. The Nuggets swept the Lakers. The Heat won the first three against the Celtics. We'll see what happens tonight. Maybe if the Celtics win tonight, then it's a then it's a different ball game. Then all of a sudden we have an interesting series. And and you'd have to give the, the Celtics at least a shot. But they got to go win tonight first. The NHL. Uh, conference finals, and we don't pay as much attention to them. Well, I know Monzo does, but, but you know, on the podcast, we don't. And generally, obviously, the NHL not as big as the NBA. But the NHL conference finals have been just as awful. Last night, the Panthers beat the Hurricanes 4-3. And this Panther team that was not that far over 500, that not that much was expected of, sweeps the 52-win Hurricanes, and they're going to the Stanley Cup Finals. Led by Matthew Kachuk. I, I pronounced his name right and everything. 25-year-old's been great. He had two goals last night, uh, leading the way to the victory. And then in the Western Conference Finals, we may have a double sweep. Uh, the Golden Knights won Game 3 in Dallas. Uh, I believe that was Tuesday, right? Yeah, they, they crushed them, 4 nothing. And they, the Knights will try to go for the sweep in Dallas 
uh, tonight. And so, so far in the conference finals, NBA, NHL combined, the teams that are winning the series are a combined 14 and 1. And the Golden Knights and the Miami Heat are going to try to make that 16 and 1 tonight. We'll see if they can get it done. All right. Uh, I want to talk some Major League Baseball here. First of all, I got two bets for you on the docket today. Love the Cubs to sweep the Mets tonight. I don't like the way the Mets are playing at home. Kyle Hendricks is pitching for the Cubs tonight. He hasn't pitched in about a year. He's fresh. Got a bunch of rehab starts in the minors. And the reality is that the way Kyle Hendricks pitches is so different than what what almost any other pitcher is doing in baseball. Everybody's pitching with crazy velocity tonight, Uh, just period, everybody. Kyle Hendricks is the anti-velocity guy. He's like a throwback to the 80s pitchers or 90s pitchers that are throwing all these junk balls, great command. And I think Kyle Hendricks is going to – the Mets are a slugging team. They're a feast or famine team. And I think that – Sets up well for Kyle Hendricks coming off the I.L., making his first start in about a year to beat the Mets and for the Cubs to sweep the Mets in Chicago. The Cubs are my team. I don't often pick them. I don't think I've picked the Cubs with my with my bet Rivers best bet at all this year. I think this is the first time all season, maybe second all season. So it's not like I'm a homer with this thing. Uh, I picked the Mets certainly a lot more than I picked the Cubs, but I like the Mets tonight. Second game is... You know, always safe going against Oakland. Uh, you've got the Mariners at home against the A's. Now you gotta you gotta bet it on the run line because the money line is minus two forty. So if the Mariners are gonna win, which they probably will, uh, you gotta lay the run and a half. You get it at minus one hundred three. It's basically even money. So take the Mariners on the coast tonight. Nine forty start minus a run and a half. Um. Logan Gilbert on the hill for the Mariners. He's been very good. Uh, doesn't matter his pitching for Oakland. None of their pitchers are any good. Oakland now 10 and 41. Again, they are on pace to break the Mets record for the worst season ever. And the Mets team was an expansion team. They finished 40 and 120. That's one loss every three games. No, what I'm sorry. That's one loss every four games. And the A's are right there. They're, their A's are even worse. The A's are averaging over one loss every five, uh, uh, excuse me, one win every four games for the Met, that Met team. The A's, one win for every five games. One win for every five games. They're 10 and 41. I mean, it's, I don't think, I don't know if we've ever seen a record this bad. Even that Oriole team that lost whatever, 17, what they lose, 18 in a row to start the season? I can't remember the exact number now. I don't think they I think they were better than 10 and 41 after 51 games. Maybe they'll get better. I don't see it. They really have no talent on that team. So I like the Mariners minus a run and a half in that game. Um, quick, a couple of quick hits. Uh, love the way the Texas Rangers are playing. The Texas Rangers have the best run differential in all of baseball, even passing the Rays. We know the Rays got off to that magnificent start, but it's the Texas Rangers. At 31 and 18 and leading that American League West, uh, holding off the Astros here, uh, Rangers 13 games over 500. They uh, have been winning series after series. In fact, 
they haven't lost a series in a while. Um, the last series they lost was shockingly to the Reds, a not very good team. They lost. They actually got swept by the Reds in Cincinnati, April twenty fourth through the twenty sixth. That is the last time they lost the series. In fact, oddly enough, it's one of they've only lost three series all year. The Rangers and two of them against bad NL Central teams at the Reds, at the Cubs, and they lost a home series early in the season to Baltimore. That's it. Texas has been a huge surprise, and they've done it without Jacob DeGrom, their big free agent signing who's been hurt. Uh, and they have piled up some wins against some bad National League teams here lately, winning five out of six against the Rockies and the Pirates to, you know, well, Pirates have been okay. Um, so kudos to the Rangers who are, are just having a, a – a tremendous season so far. Uh, meanwhile, both central te- central division teams stink, or all the central division teams stink, but specifically in the American League Central. I wanted to share this stat with you uh, that I tweeted out yesterday in case you didn't see it. The five AL Central teams, the Twins, the Tigers, the Royals, the Guardians, and the White Sox, coming into yesterday's action, were 65 and 104 combined against teams not in the AL Central. All right, every game they play against the, another AL Central team, they're going one and one. So, in non games against non AL Central teams, 65 and 104. Now I got to update that from yesterday's game. White Sox Guardians played each other, so that stays the same. The Twins won 66 and 104. Uh, the and that's it. So now it's 66 and 104 instead of 65, but. I mean, that is horrific. The division is so bad. Obviously, we got a long way to go. Uh, you know, you're, you're basically at the, the, the third, one-third point of the season. Um, but it's it's just horrible. Not even quite at the one-third. By, by the end of the weekend, you'll be at the one-third point of the season. And now, at this point, you have a good feel of what teams are. And, and teams in the Central are very lucky. I mean... You know, the, the Reds are in last place, seven games under 500. They're only six games out. In the American League Central, the Royals are finished, but the White Sox, nine games under 500. They're only five and a half out. The Cleveland Guardians have lost 22 of their last 33 games, and they're only four and a half games out of first place. That's how bad the American League Central is. Meanwhile, the Braves are dominating. In the NL East, the Dodgers back where they usually are at the top of the NL West, although Arizona's hanging in there nicely. And, you know, some of these teams have righted the ship. I credit the Yankees. They're playing a lot better right now. While Boston and Toronto have struggled, the Yankees have played a lot better. They're getting some pitching back now. The The lineup is so dependent on Aaron Judge. However, Gleyber Torres has played really well. He had two home runs yesterday. Mets have been a huge disappointment. The NL East, the Braves are the only team over 500. The Phillies and the Mets have been pretty bad. A lot expected out of those teams. Phillies went to the World Series. Mets have the largest payroll. Mets 25 and 25. Phillies 23 and 26. All right, that's going to do it for this edition of the bullpen. Uh, Thanks to the great Rick Barry for joining me. Thanks to Monzo for producing as always. I'll be back next week. Where else but right here? Right here. It's the bullpen with Adam the Bull. That's me. And we'll see you next time. See you, everybody. Thanks for listening to The Bullpen with Adam the Bull on the Bet Rivers Network.